It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have a special guest, and uh, keeping your suspense, he's one of the legends in the voiceover industry. And we're going to get to him, our mystery guest, in just a second. The Messiah Community Radio Talk Show is brought to you by Bayer Dynamic with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamic stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems, for more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And also by Vocal Booth To Go, carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. Visit vocalboothtogo.com for more information. And our special guest, legend, James Alberger joins us. Hello. <laughs> well, you know what? Your book, which you know we're going to talk about in a minute, this legendary book that you have uh, created, uh, is being promoted on Vocal Booth to Go. That's uh, yes. you're very familiar with the sponsor. Yep, uh, I've known Vocal Booth to Go since we did our Voice 2010 convention at the Disneyland Hotel. No, actually, I'm sorry, that was 2012. We did 2012, which is where we first met uh, the folks with Vocal Booth to Go. And uh, you know, they yes. were at just a little background on, on them is uh, they were introducing the very first Vocal Booth to Go product uh, at that convention. Wow. And, and I had been in touch with them a little bit beforehand. And I actually was instrumental in helping design some uh, fundamental components of the, what was originally the carry-on vocal booth, which is now Vomo, the voiceover mobile. I spoke to the gentleman. Is, he goes by two names somehow. His yeah, name uh, he go, his, his, uh, his native <laughs> name is Adil, A-D-I-L, and his American name is Jeff. Is he Israeli? Where's, where's uh, Adil from? <sighs> um... It's some Slovak company or country. Um, I can't remember exactly where, but it's over there. Well, guess what? I spoke to him today, okay? Ah. And he could not stop talking because he was beaming <laughs> when he talked about your name. I mean, I'm oh, serious. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And, and not only that, he said to give you the biggest hello when, when I meet you. Uh, the other thing is there's a present he wants me you know, to tell you that he got for you, this very special present. And it was actually snow. Have you yes. ever been given snow before? <laughs> no. I guess. No. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jeff was doing, uh, a couple of months ago, he was doing, he wanted to break a Guinness World Record. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't know if he actually did or not, but he, he was out, he set out to drive every U.S. interstate freeway from one end to the other. And it, it, he did this cross-country trip for about, I guess it must have taken him two or three months to do it. Really? And I got a call from him one evening, and he was up in Oregon someplace. And he was making the drive down, uh, I think it was down Interstate 5, was the, the road that he was taking, which goes all the way up into, you know, 
from the border in San Diego all the way up to the border in Canada. And he was driving down back into San Diego. And he, he said, I have something for you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I said, well, okay, <laughs> just let me know when you get into town. So a couple of days later, he drives up in front of my house, knocks on my door, and he's got this bucket of snow <laughs> in his hands. Unbelievable. All the way from in, All the way. It was fresh, uh, fresh snow right off the mountains in, in Oregon. It was it's just too, too funny. You know, people always joke around about that. Hey, you know, um, I'm in Florida here and uh, and people, my relatives in some of New York uh, say, you know, send some snow, I'll send some sunshine. But I don't think anybody has ever really done anything like that. H have they in your life? Your life that was the first time for me. That's some present. It was. Yeah, it was fun. But he was very, very grateful and mentioned that he had been in your home and that you really were instrumental in getting this company started, a company that, uh, of course, we want to talk about you, James, but <laughs> the company. But <laughs> I, hey, I don't, I don't mind talking about the Vomo or Vocal Booth to go. <laughs> no, no, we're going to talk about you. But, but uh, yeah, Vocal Booth to go and uh, they were a moving company and then uh, instrumental and in, mm -hmm. and you know, taking these blankets and making them, everyone's so used to, I guess, seeing blocks of foam, but that uh, the surprise is that these moving blankets work. Uh, they're special acoustic blankets. Yeah. Uh, those producers choice and they work just as well. Is that right? Uh, in my opinion, they work better. Really? And I'll, I'll tell you why uh, acoustic foam. And there are a lot of acoustic foam companies out there and I'm not dissing their products in any way because their products are generally really good. And, and they do the job that they're set out to do. However, acoustic foam products, uh, they're a foam product for one. And most foam products have some kind of a binder compound in there to hold the home together. And okay. what I discovered when I was working in television years ago, uh, and, and this was true then, and it may not be true now, they may have changed the formulations. But back in those days... The acoustic foam products had an organic compound in the binder. And over time, that organic compound would break down, which would mean that the foam would start to deteriorate and start to flake and get kind of dusty. And, and you know, fire pieces. recharge. Yeah, it would, it would really deteriorate uh, to the point where you try and touch it and it just crumbles in your hand. And part of that was thermal, you know, temperature would affect that and atmospheric conditions but a lot of it had to do with the composition of the way the foam was actually built and uh that ended up causing a number of problems at the tv station where i was working and they had to replace hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of acoustic foam that was uh wow. designed that's to, a lot of money it was i mean it, it cost them a chunk of change and even for the layman yeah you know, who goes out and it may be new at voiceovers or even if you're it's a lot of money it can be. Now, as I said, I don't know if their formulations still include those kind of compounds. Uh, I haven't bought an acoustic foam product in years, uh, especially since I discovered the, the producer's choice sound blankets, because they're just, they're, they're awesome. And one thing that Vocal Booth To Go has done is over the years, and I first met them in 2012, so I've known uh, Jeff for about six years. And I've worked with that company off and on in various ways. And the one thing I know is that he's constantly looking at how can he make that product better. Mm -hmm. I and, got that feeling from Yeah, and it's, it's been, um, he's changed his suppliers at least tw twice that I know of. 
hmm. uh, because he found somebody that could make it better, more right. you know, give it greater density, make it lighter in weight, you know, whatever it might be. But the uh, the producer's choice sound blankets uh, are an exceptionally good product, in my opinion, and that's what the the carry on vocal booth, which is the little portable small version. Uh, now it's now called Vomo for Voice Over Mobile. He rebranded it. I like that. Uh, uh, yeah, Voice Over Mobile works really well. Um, but I still think of it in terms of the carry-on vocal booth. It just that just sticks with me for some reason, <laughs> probably because I helped design the thing. But wow. it, it it's it's small. It's like you can literally carry it on as a carry-on baggage on an airplane, which is that's how it got its name. And it's it's difficult to do that with some of the other so-called portable booths that are on the market. I was going to say that, you know, you have to be a bit of an acrobat and hide under that cover and try to read with a script in your hand or whatever it may be. I mean, it's not easy for um, you. Tell me, I mean, uh, you've been in this for, I don't know, 40 years or more, uh, more, <laughs> yeah, more, and more, more than four. I mean, and it, it couldn't be easy. And this is probably the most simple solution. It's it's a it's a brilliant design in my opinion, because with most of the other booths that are out there, and I'm not going to name any names because most of you know what they are anyhow. But in virtually all of the others, like the ISO box or you know, I'm just <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, whatever. I've heard this is I've heard this is better. It, the, it uh, is because here and here's why. Here's why I think the the Vomo portable booth is better. With all of the other booths that are out there. As the performer, you your mouth is outside of the acoustic environment created by the booth. The mm -hmm. microphone is inside the booth, but your voice is outside. What that means is, as you speak, if you're in a live echoey kind of environment, your voice is going to echo in the larger acoustic space. Some of those reflected sounds are going to get back into the microphone inside the booth which is going to artifact and affect your recording quality. With the Vomo portable booth, you are literally working inside the acoustic space. So your head is actually inside, surrounded by the blankets. And as and long it has as- to the, be surrounded or else there are reflections or echo and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, when you're inside the booth, those the, the sound of your voice is being absorbed by the, the sound blankets. Any sound that gets out is going to be dampened already. And first off, you're, you're not working outside the booth, so your primary sound is not getting into the larger acoustic room, you know, which could be echoey. Your primary sound is being re, uh, restrained or contained within the confines of that 24-inch by 24-inch uh, acoustic space. I'm sure there's a little bit of conversion here because all, you know you t people are so used to seeing the foam, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Then they see these like moving blankets, but the, now they're acoustic blankets, specially designed for this, right? Yep. And and I think more and more people are getting used to. They see the results or hear the results, but there's a little bit of that conversion. Like, wait a minute, man, I you know I don't go with this because uh, it, it, is that correct? Well, I think so. Yes. Uh, People are used to acoustic foam. Acoustic foam has been sold as the solution for room acoustics for a long, long time. And the, the, the 
acoustic sound blankets is a relatively new entree into dealing with room acoustics. But the truth is, a, a sound blankets have been in use for a long, long time in Hollywood. I heard about that. I think people were mentioning on these like forums that Ray Charles was a big fan of those moving blankets. Oh, yeah, yeah. And back then, all they had were regular moving blankets, which are horrible compared to the sound blankets that we have today. Because regular... I have some of my students who'll say, well, I'll just go to Home Depot and get a couple of, you know, moving blankets. Okay, well, good luck. Good luck with that because that's only, you know, that might help a little bit. Yeah. But those moving blankets are very thin. The inside material is not, it's very transparent. So it'll absorb some and it'll dampen some parts of the room, but it's not going to give you an acoustically dead environment. How did you have, uh, you know, something to do with as far? You, you, you act like you're a, uh, like an audio producer or a, an audio <laughs> engineer or something like, you know, I mean, actually you, you, I want our audience to know that you've won many Emmy awards, maybe like 11 and counting. Yeah. So if anybody, you know, film industry in all seriousness, television, uh, radio, anything to do with audio, people have sought after you mm-hmm. and you won many awards. And so it must be very rewarding for you to be able to, you know, focus in on, on this industry and this vocal booth. Uh, oh, it is. Yes. It, we, yeah. When Jeff called me and we got talking about the, the, the carry on vocal booth um, and he, you know, he asked me for some input and I started just, we just corresponded by email primarily. And I'm telling him, okay, here's what, you know, try doing this. This is what will work. And he would do it. And then, uh, you know, a few days later, this big package arrives at my front door and, I, and I've got a prototype. <laughs> nice. So I've got like four or five prototypes sitting around here right now at different stages of development. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, you know, it was just such a privilege and a joy to be able to, to contribute to that whole project and, and to see the end result being a, a product that's being extremely well received in the voiceover community. Yes, I've read about that. And uh, so you're almost like Thomas Edison, except with the, uh, with the audio. <laughs> I mean, have you, have you had these ideas before and have you tried inventing anything before like this? Um, not particularly. You know, when I'm cr- inventing something, it's more of a necessity as the mother of invention. It's like, I've got a challenge. Okay, I've got to f- figure out how I'm going to work around this. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's where it comes from. But, uh, you know, the, using the sound blankets for the, uh, the, the original carry-on vocal booth, that was uh, Jeff's idea. Okay. You know, I give him full credit for that. I mean, and the and the the way that idea came about, just a little bit of history for your listeners, is that he his he his original business was moversupplies.com, a moving company. I heard about that. Yeah. I mean, that was his primary business and he provided uh, oversized f- furniture blankets um which were not the kind you get at Home Depot. I mean, he, they were thicker, they were denser, they mm-hmm. were more rugged and more durable. And the film studios in Hollywood would buy from moversupplies.com. And they'd really? get these oversized sound blankets. And what would happen is they, the studios would buy them for transporting furniture and their props and all that stuff. Well, they'd get on set and hmm. they'd get into, you know, some, some set environments are acoustically horrible so the sound mixers on set would see this furniture blanket laying aside and they'd get a couple of c-stands and they'd clamp the blanket up on the c-stands and they'd fix the acoustics in the space and deaden the room spot you know instead of gluing stuff yeah (laughs) and and after a while 
the the uh, mover supplies people started getting requests from Hollywood to, oh. hey, can you make it bigger? Can you give us some grommets on here so we can hang it easier? And can mm-hmm. can you do this? Can you do that? So over a, year, over a few years, the producer's choice sound blanket came into be, which is the really denser uh, product. And uh, that's how that whole thing came about. And then... Um, he was telling me about that. He said when he went to that uh, BO, you know, voiceover conference, that he could not go in as moving supply. You know, how would people respond to that? You know, these serious people, voiceovers. So he changed the name yeah. to Vocal Booth to go. He created a whole new company. He still has MoversSupplies.com. That business is still out there, still going. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he created a whole new business for uh, Vocal Booth to go. Well, it's a nice marriage. I'm glad he sought you out because a lot of, you know, uh, well, Hollywood has uh, <laughs> been seeking you out for years and uh, a good collaboration. Sometimes it just takes the right person, you know, the right mm-hmm. mentor. It sounds like you've been one to him. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a great relationship. And, and he's, a, he's a great, he's a very nice guy. He sure is. I want to, you know, just say, because we need to tell our audience really who you are. As a voiceover actor, James R. Alberger. Sorry, Alberger. <laughs> That's okay. I get all kinds of pronunciations. Can we, can we edit that out? The man's been a legend. I want to say his name right. James R. Alberger. Okay. I'll try Alberger. It's just like hamburger. Alberger. Oh, my goodness. Should we edit that out or is this? Yeah, is this let it roll. I don't care. Good radio. That's up good to radio. you. <laughs> well, James R. Alberger has gained a reputation for delivering exceptional voiceover performances on time, exceeding clients' expectations, a wide variety of projects, uh, you know, radio commercials, self-guided tour narration. Uh, you're a teacher, and you've had your voice acting academy in San Diego, and we're going to you know, talk about that. And also, your, your claim to fame, too, is your book, The Art of Voice Acting, which really it's almost like a Christmas gift. You know, you look at this and anything you ever wanted to know about audio, about, about um, demos, you, you, you know, we can go on how to succeed in the business and uh, it's on its fourth edition. I understand. It's actually on the current edition is the fifth. And wow. right now I'm working on the sixth, which should be published <laughs> in March of 2019. Is it fun how this uh, field has evolved? From when you were, there was a picture, a great picture on your website, a young lad. I don't know if you were 22 or 23. I'm not even sure. But <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, a long time ago there, but a couple of years ago. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, you were, I understand, one of the first people to have a recording engineering studio at a very young age. Uh, all these different advances, not only in delivery, but also in, in the way audio is uh, translated. Uh, do you like all the changes? Sometimes people don't. Uh, yeah, I've I've evolved with the changes. You know, mm-hmm. I, I taught myself to edit music on reel-to-reel tape at the age of twelve. Wow! And how did that happen? Well, um, back in those days, long I'm you know that's a long time ago, early 1960s. So I'm kind of dating myself yeah so <laughs> this is back in the days of ed sullivan and just put it that way all right well when i was at that point in my life i was i got really inspired about magic and there's a whole long story that goes goes with that how i got started in magic but let's just say i was really a geek at 12 years old i did not know how to behave on stage i didn't i knew nothing about anything at that point and 
I watched the Ed Sullivan show religiously. Every week, our family had Ed Sullivan on. And one thing I noticed was that every week, Ed Sullivan had a magician on his show. <laughs> he loved magic. And the other thing I noticed was that none of these guys talked. They all worked their magic to music. They did what's called a silent act in, in the magic trade. So I figured, well, hey, if they can work to music, I can work to music. I like music. I played clarinet for a little while in elementary school. Uh, so I, I knew something about music. I had a couple of records that I really liked. So my dad helped me connect my record player up to his reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And I would transfer music over to the reel-to-reel. -reel. And inside a 3M box of tape, and I still have the box around here someplace, really? there was instructions on how to edit tape using a grease pencil, a pair of and scissors, and scotch tape. Wow. And I looked I at that and said, oh, I can do this. You had scissors. Yeah. And that's I taught myself to edit music that way. Because what I when I was putting my acts together, the the music would go its phrasing and its structure would go off in one direction. Well, I wanted to take my my magic routine maybe in a different direction or have a transition earlier than where it was in the actual music track. Well, by editing the music, I could move parts of the music phrases around to get it to do what I wanted to do. And I knew if it sounded right or not, so I you know I could. I had a talent for that, and uh, I started editing my own music for my magic acts, and that's what I did. There are a lot of people that may start like that. I mean, let's just say you're a kid and you get a video camera, something like that, right? But they don't turn into Steven Spielberg, and yet, you know, this is something that you uh, had a real talent. Did you recognize you had a talent for it right away? I mean, you know, kids have a hobby, uh, edit tape and everything, you know, but when do you learn that, hey, I'm really good at this? Um, I didn't learn that I was really good at it until I got into college. Mm -hmm. And got into working at, at some of the campus radio stations. And uh, actually in junior college, I produced... Uh, I was uh, Actually, when I was in junior college, I was actually still friends with some, some of my buddies from high school. And they would have these projects that they wanted to do and they wanted to do this presentation for their you know for a class and they wanted to incorporate audio in it so they would come to me and i would edit their audio programs and do their you know do the audio part of their whole presentation so just honing my skills and as that moved along i eventually got into uh, campus radio stations at san diego state and uh, ended up producing commercials and programs and all kinds of stuff and at, at, at some point, you don't really have this epiphany that, wow, I'm really good at this. You just, mm. You're just suddenly good at it. And people tell you that, too. And that's one of those things that, I don't know, you know, it comes from God, I think, you know. Yeah. But we're, we're all, it's a, a given gift. And people will tell you, you know, they say your talent will find you out. And I'm sure that's what happened. Yes. Yeah, people would do that. And it's funny because just briefly, we're not going to talk about Vocal Booth to go, even though I want to give them another plug. <laughs> I was going to say. They just, they just got a 20-minute commercial, oh, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> give me a break. Give me a break. And I was going to, they sure did. And, uh, but one of the, it didn't matter your Emmy Awards, like 11 and all. It, Jeff said, you know, he's a magician. <laughs> that was the first thing. He, he was more impressed that you were a magician. And, and he said also, okay, that if, 
people send you an email just, you know, asking some questions, you'll get a three-page letter, mm -hmm. a three-page email back because you are very thorough. Now, that's something else that made you stand out from other people because you can't just get noticed for doing, you know, good work. I think you have to have the whole uh, package, maybe the work ethic. And so I'm sure that's helped in, in this business where people, as it says in your page, you know, they need a quick response and, and to do a good job, more than a good job. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not the kind of guy that's just going to give a, yep, do it that way kind of answer. You know, um, I consider myself a teacher and an educator, you know, which is you know, goes to the book and goes to the workshops I teach. And if if somebody's asking me a question about something, and it appears to me that they they may not be aware of uh, some of the fundamental background that's going to lead up to the answer, I'm going to give them the background. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I firmly believe that you've you've got to have uh, a strong foundation before you can build your house. And that goes with voiceover, it goes with audio, it goes with pretty much anything you're doing. In yeah, the Bible, even. And you have to count yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> build the foundation, count the cost. Yep. So if I'm helping somebody with a, with a voiceover issue, uh, I want them to know what the foundation is that's going to support the information that I'm going to be giving them. And people... Today, if you don't mind me saying, now I'm a, I'm a newbie with a little bit of an interest, you know, in, in voiceovers, okay? But man, you go online and you see glitz and glam and all kinds of short answers and promises and, uh, and mills. And that is why your book, you know, The Art of Voice Acting, and I'll say it by James Allberger. I got it. <laughs> Thank you very much. He, uh, it, it's because it's so thorough. And we had a guy on the program, okay, uh, the author of What Color Is Your Parachute, mm. okay? That book has been a staple in the career field because so much effort and so much detail went into it. Your book is exactly uh, the same, The Art of Voice Acting, because of all those details. And, and that's why it's lasted so long. Uh, I think I think that's a big part of it. I think that's why it's going into the sixth edition next year. And I, I've, I have a huge library of voiceover books. I don't have all of them because people keep thinking that they're authors and they put a book out. And sometimes, you know, there's some good stuff in it. A lot of times the book is about them. <laughs> um, and my yeah, book's not true. about me. My book is yeah. about the processes, the techniques, and how to how to, to use them in this craft and business. Uh, it's not it how like I did it. Really and there are this. other books about how lost I, if, how if I did people it. Wanna, sorry, what was that? I was going to say there are other books out there about how the author did it, you know? Oh, exactly. And, you know, and that's just <laughs> good for them. Right. And the, and the only problem is that, you know, we, how they did it specifically is in, uh, that's why, you know, you can say for sure you're a master teacher because you break it down and explain it. Um, it's kind of like a long road trip, this voiceover thing. For some people, maybe mm -hmm. they have the talent. I don't know. Maybe they can just go in and, and do a great job. But for most, it is a marathon. It is a long, if you're willing to put the time in and you're willing to uh, know the landscape, the whereabouts. And so that's, these are, you're like a tour guide. Say, hey, folks, 
this is point A, this is point B, this is, you know, and you introduce, and you've introduced, I'm sure, uh, where people have had their livelihoods and you've seen, I mean, as a teacher, it's, it, I'm sure it's rewarding how people have blossomed in the field mm-hmm. and made it. Oh yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's a, it's a rush when I hear from one of my students that they just landed this, you know, this great project that they're working on. I mean, it's just, I get very proud of my students. Oh, I'm sure. And, and I mean, there are a lot of students that I never hear from. You know, they, they take my workshop and they go off and they do their thing. And, you know, I might read about something that they've done a couple of years later. But, um, you know, we just kind of lose touch. That that happens. Yeah, I'm sure. And, there, and that's just how it is. I know that. Uh, well, you can go back to school and, you know, the teacher gets a card yep. and said, you know, you've touched my life. I'm, I'm moving into the fifth grade now. And I just want to let you, I, I had to write these, uh, well, we all did as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but there must've been hundreds and thousands or maybe hundreds and thousands, I don't know, of students. Are you still taking clients? Uh, me? Yes, I am. Does one thing stand out about this business? I mean, is it like a kaleidoscope of people that have entered into your life and events like television and film and uh, it, it almost seems like you, you could just choose one area and it would be enough for a person to have a career. But you've had, you know, the whole smorgasbord. And uh, how, do you, how do you see this career of yours over these years? I mean, where do you, where, what do you ponder on the most? Well, when I was in high school, I'm just, you know, going back to that period in time because there, uh, I had an epiphany. I guess you could call it that, mm-hmm. or right. a realization, <laughs> or there was a moment when uh, my dad had, my father had a company in Hollywood, and his primary business was non-destructive testing materials. Basically, wow. he made fluorescent, fluorescent <laughs> ultraviolet <laughs> products. Uh, you know, he made fluorescent paints and inspection materials for turbine mm. engines and that kind of stuff. Very, he, my dad was a chemical engineer and an electrical engineer. So you want to talk technical? Yeah, yeah. yeah we, you, you know, my dad exactly. could throw formulas at you, you know, all day. Hmm. Well, uh, over summer vacations when I was in school, I would go down and work for my dad over the summer vacation, as did my brother and my sister, and I never really enjoyed that. It was okay. I mean, it brought in a little bit of spending money, but I never really enjoyed that kind of of work you know mixing paints and doing that kind of stuff and the epiphany that came around was at one point in time i just suddenly had the realization that wait a minute if if it's if i'm not having fun and enjoying what i'm doing what's the point in doing it you know so i i made that conscious choice that i was going to have fun with whatever career i got into it was going to be enjoyable and I would have fun. And when it stopped being fun, that would be the time that I would start looking for something else and move on. So my whole experience was with my magic and with my music editing. Uh, I did some, quote, voiceover work, unquote. I wouldn't consider it any kind of realistic performance, but I did some of that for my 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 uh, uh, my other buddies that I was producing programs for, and by the time I got into college, I had no idea what I wanted to major in. So, I had a very wise mother, and we went down to the local library, and pulled out the catalog for the nearby junior college, 
And we just started going page by page and, and she would say, okay, how about this? How about that? Does that sound interesting? Does this sound interesting? This sounds familiar. I remember doing that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was a great strategy. Yeah. And we came across a couple of things. We got to the music department. Now, I loved music. And we got into the, the whole thing for the music and looking at the different majors for music. And I said, well, that's a possibility. I really like music. But I, I only had played two instruments. I played clarinet in elementary school and played trombone in high school. So my musical prowess as a musician was a little bit limited. And I did not play keyboards and didn't know how to play a piano. So music was a possibility, but so we kept going. We got down to this thing called telecommunications and film. Hmm. And we looked at that and said, what the heck is this? And we started reading and it said working at the, at the campus radio station and talked about taking the classes in, in, the, with the cam- in the studio and working with cameras and with audio and with sound. And, and I'm thinking, well, hey, this kind of brings everything together. Because, I mean, it's got pictures, it's got performing, it's got music, it's got sound and audio. All the stuff that I really enjoyed doing was right there in that one major. So that's what I took. Wow. And I, uh, I just excelled. I just, that just, you know, kind of lit my fire. Yeah. I mean, you know something, everyone goes through that stage, uh, most of us, and uh, trying to figure out, you know, what, where do I put my talents, mm-hmm. my God-given talents and skills? And then you never let go. Once, once you know, you know, this is what I'm going to hold on to. I, we, we, a lot of people change careers, of course, but I'm glad that you didn't. <laughs> you stuck with us for, yeah, me too. you know, all these years. And, uh, and that's an interesting story, though. You know how you got started with all that, and um, is there? It, it, it reminds me. You know what? I'm, when I think about when when I went to school, right? I went to school, and uh, they have the film strip, and you hear the, mm-hmm. you know, when they have the uh, uh, social studies class, and you hear, and and the teacher would have a difficult time, and she'd say, "Is there anyone from AV? Is there <laughs> anyone from AV?" And I just remember AV. And there would be someone, I don't know, an apprentice or some kid who was good at this, coming to the rescue, getting the film you know, strip to go through the thing, and saving the day. You built your career on doing stuff like that. Yeah, I was never in the AV department at, at school, though. But yeah, I did exactly <laughs> well, that. Well, let's talk about Hollywood, you know what I mean? And, uh, and how, what are the most challenging projects you've had to save the day for? Um, wow. Would it be a film or a television show or would it be just, uh, you know, you mentioned about this audio. Uh, well, I probably uh, butcher the way you say it, you know, the truck that they have with a, like a studio with all the high tech equipment that make these productions tick and behind the scenes. You tell me which one uh, was the greatest challenge, do you think? Or there, I'm sure there are more than a few. There, there were a lot of challenges that I came up against. Um, I think. Some of the, I don't know if they would, I would really classify them as major challenges, but they were definitely obstacles that needed to be overcome uh, in terms of, of a production. Um, when I started, right after I graduated from college, I was unemployed, staying at my parents' place uh, up in La Cañada, which is in the LA area next to Pasadena. So I was a half an hour out of Hollywood. And uh, I, I finally, I needed to get a job really bad. 
because my parents are you know looking at me saying, okay, you are not going to be staying here for much longer. <laughs> this isn't how it works. Uh, yeah, this is how it works, Jim. And I said, <laughs> okay, so I needed to get a job. Well, uh, the, the thing that I needed to overcome, that obstacle, was that I was getting a lot of rejection from the phone calls that I was making. And there were a lot of recording studios in Hollywood. Now, hmm. I had decided I wanted to work in a recording studio, not at a radio station. Good because, choice. Because I really liked production. And I realized after talking to a lot of radio stations that you get into a radio station, you're doing an air shift. You're not doing production. It's, you know, it's a whole different ballgame there. Recording studios is all about production. And that's where I wanted to be because that's where my skills laid. And I needed to get this job. So I'm listening to an album. Uh, this is, I, was, I think it was a Rod McEwen album. I was listening to this stuff. Rod McEwen was a poet back in the 60s or 70s mm -hmm. and had several albums out with the Anita Kerr singers. And they're really mellow, nice music. Uh, and I'm listening to one of these albums and I'm listening to this instrumental track. And there were very few instrumentals on those, that set of albums. It was called The Earth, The Sea, and The Sky. So it was a three-album set, mostly vocals with Rod McEwen's poetry. And I found this one instrumental, and it just inspired me. So I sat down, and I write out a little storyline. And over the next few days, I get my little cassette recorder and microphone, and I go out, and I'm starting to record all these sound effects and what I did is I created, it's about a three and a half minute story that is built solely with sound effects and music. And there are two yeah. lines of dialogue within the storyline, which are there solely for the purpose of tying the story together. And it's basically the story of a robbery. Guy drives up to a house, knocks on the door. He's actually been invited to this party. The host greets him at the door, which is one of the lines of dialogue. Uh, goes in, asks to use the phone, gets escorted into another room, door closes. You hear him all of a sudden not going for the phone, but rifling through drawers and op eventually opening a safe. Rips something out, out of the safe. And then you hear it switches back to the party where the host says, all those papers I need are in, the, in my safe. I'll go get them for you. So you now hear him going back into the room where the the thief has stolen whatever it is, goes into the room, opens up the safe, discovers it's missing, rushes out of the room, the door closes, and then you hear the guy break a window, jump out into the leaves and run over to the car, can't get the car started, finally does, takes off, and then the chase ensues. So <laughs> you know the, the whole story. The right? whole it's sto like theater of the mind, right? Yeah, it's all, exactly. It's all theater of the mind. So I, I produced this little thing. And when I was recording this, here's, well, I'll tell you the setup that I had in a minute, but I had this on a little five-inch reel-to-reel tape. And as I'm starting to call the recording studios, I managed to get a couple of appointments. So wow. I took that recording with me, along with an album that I had produced while I was in my senior year at San Diego State of the music group called Treble Clef at the college. And I had produced an album. I'll tell you that story in a second. But I took this reel-to-reel -reel tape of my, my sound effects story into uh, one of these recording studios. And I'm walking in the, the door. It's this little tiny hole-in-the-wall place. And 
the owner of the studio greeted me and he said, I just want to be totally honest with you right up front. I don't have a job for you. However, you, you impressed me on the phone and I want to hear what you can do. So I said, okay, here, put this up. Well, he had two tape recorders in his studio. Only two tape recorders, reel-to-reel tape recorders. Wow. One was a, a two-track, no, it was a mono, an, uh, an Ampex mono, meaning one channel, reel-to-reel, and he had an Ampex four-track, reel-to-reel. So he took, I told him my, my recording is two-track stereo. He loaded it up on his four-track, queued it up, turned up his volume, and played it. And mm. did not say a word for the entire thing. Wow. At the end of it, he looked, he was totally silent. He leaned over, pushed the stop button, paused, looked mm. at me, and said, how did you do that? Yeah, wow. Because, understand this, the, my little story and sound effects was in full stereo, and it had sound effects that panned left to right. With the equipment that this guy had in his studio, and he's a professional studio, mm -hmm. he literally could not do what I had done in his studio. He couldn't do it. He did not have the it equipment. Me like those musicians that have like special chords that, that they play. Yeah, no one else really, can really. Relate the chord. So basically, I blew this pro totally out of the water. Nice. And he said, "Well, how did you do that?" So I explained it to him. I had three tape recorders. One of them had a loop that was a loop of crickets that just kept rolling on an endless loop. I had another tape recorder that was my recorder doing my master recording. I had two turntables that had records queued up to play different music cues. And I had a third tape recorder that I had very sp the specific sound cues all queued up and leadered. And I had two live microphones. So some of the dialogue lines were delivered live. The whole wow. thing was mixed in two sections. <laughs> Because uh, I couldn't figure out how to do it all in one pass. So I had to do the first half, and then I had an edit and did the second half. And this is how it works, though. You have to be this constant problem solver. You're yeah, you've got to figure out how, how are you going to get the end result that you want. Yeah. And I'm so sure that was one of my really... This is like almost really... being like an emergency room doctor. And yeah. look, you know, if you don't like dealing with stress and uh, things happen, live television or film or all kinds of things, you got to figure it out. So... You must have known that you had that in you. And I want to mention something also, you know, something that, well, the word comes to mind as you're saying all this. We talked about theater of the mind, imagination. Now, not only do you stress that in the book as far as what can be missing from a voiceover actor is this imagination mm -hmm. that you have learned how to bring out of people. Um, do we do we have that still? I know, you know, do you, this was where, you know, you cut your teeth with imagination. Yes. Um, is that is that a sore lost art today or is it, uh, you know, imagination? I mean, I sometimes I think we've lost the hang of that. Um, I don't think we've lost it. Uh, it used to be that imagination. I mean, back in the days when I was in school, we were we were allowed to use our imagination. We were allowed to be more creative. And I think the educational system has changed which mm -hmm. has kind of moved away from that. Uh, so in a sense, we may, we've lost it, in, I think, in the, in the educational system, but I think innately each of us as human beings has that creative imagination inside us. 
We just have to and figure out how to let you it better out. Bring that out. You have no chance in this business. You know, if you don't have imagination as a voiceover actor. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's why I, I really encourage people who want to get into voiceover or professional speaking or uh, salesmanship. You know, if you're going to, any kind of, of, of primary communication where you have a message that needs to be shared. There are certain fundamental skills that need to be acquired in order to do that and imagination is part of that it's just one facet of this whole thing and i encourage anybody that wants to be a better communicator take an acting class take an Mm. improv class improv is great because improv requires that you use your imagination and it can be uncomfortable and that's good because when you're uncomfortable you are learning yeah, I've heard about that with Stephen Colbert. He talks about that. That really helped him when he did uh, improv or ex, you know, temporary speaking. And he he said if he wasn't failing, if he wasn't afraid, he wasn't going to grow and and do the job. And I think a lot of people. And he's. I mean, look at him now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's killing everybody yep. on television because you know that he's doing something different. He's putting himself out there. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, that whole aspect of, of failing is huge. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I, I keep hearing this in the news about, you know, these sporting, these, you know, school sporting events where everybody gets an award. Excuse me? <laughs> what kind of an education is that? What are we teaching those kids? I was one of those kids. So, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, unfortunately, I had the participation award. I remember earning it's, a couple of those things, and but I felt different about it. Like, eh, you know, everyone gets one of those. Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and that's the lesson. There's nothing special about mm-hmm. who you are and what you do. Yeah. You have your, your skill is no different than anybody else's. And that creates... Ah... Uh, it, it creates complacency. And uh, I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of that in a variety of different industries is that they're just complacent. There's nothing creative. There's nothing special that's really yeah, taking place. I was just going to ask you that too. You know, I was going to say you have met probably so many interesting people in your life. I mean, I'm talking about characters and personalities and just any time, you know, in this creative uh, medium the entertainment field and uh is uh, are you amazed by that i mean would your life be boring without all these people no i don't even i'd never think about it but you're right i've met a, a ton of really interesting people i mean when i was working in hollywood at the recording studio i, I spent an entire week with jim backus you know and i worked with some of the top hollywood stars in the early 1970s when i was up there um Charles Nelson Riley, I spoke with him, met him on an almost weekly basis. Is he difficult? I heard he was difficult. Um, not when I was working with him. He was crazy and wacky. And he yeah. had a company called Commercial Clinic, and he pr- produced radio commercials. And he used the, the Bell Sound Studios, which is where I was working, was his studio of choice. So I had a chance to work with him a couple of times. Um, just, the, you know, a lot of top stars. Uh, Ernie Anderson was in our studio almost every day. He was the guy who did 
he was the voice of the Love Boat. If oh, you remember wow. that show, I mean, that's going back a few years, but that was Ernie. Ernie was one of the highest paid voiceover talents in the country. Um, Ernie Anderson, um, Bob Landers, and Danny Dark were three of the top voice talent in the country back in the 1970s, early 70s. And all three of them were in our studio on a regular basis. But one of my, my, one of my favorite things about working at that studio was... I was sitting in the lobby with my client, and we were going to be working on this narration. It was for some monorail up in Seattle or something, some project. It was a proposal type of a narration. And uh, my client is, my voice talent is sitting next to me in the, in the lobby, and he's leaning over and looks at me and says, uh, how do you think I should say this line? You know, so he's asking me for some coaching and some direction. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, I was 22 Wow. <laughs> right out of college. Compliment. 22 Huge. years old. And you know who that talent was? Who? Rod Serling. you got to be kidding. No, I'm not. Rod Serling was asking me how to deliver his lines in this narration script. But to, to come to you that way, I mean, it was it, it already your, your reputation, and he would ask you that. Um, it was because I worked at that recording studio. It's the right. studio that had the reputation. I just happened to be an employee at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew nothing. <laughs> Even out of so college, I knew nothing. Zone, that's you? That's you, you giving him that, that uh, delivery? The Twilight Zone. Now, was, now, I wish I could take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all him? I thought that was your direction. I'm no, just kidding. I wish. I wish. But well, yeah, I was, you know, I almost I, I don't rarely, you know, uh, ask a guest this because I, you know, even for me, but you, you need a bathroom break or anything. <laughs> We've been going a long time. I, I, mean, can, how, how I can go. Doing? Hey, I uh, when I'm teaching my performance intensive workshop, we start at okay. nine in the morning and we go till five in the evening and we what? we break for lunch. Uh, and I I'm I go nonstop. All right, then I'm not going to take a bathroom break. I'm going to just go on. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I mean, I, I'm curious. And uh, well, I have two questions, really. One, what are some of the things that you're surprised that in, in all the endeavors that you do? Again, audio producer, director, copywriter, voiceover coach. What are, you, what are you surprised that people don't ask you when they meet you? That they don't ask me? Yeah. I mean, you're a plethora of knowledge and you're very willing to help in, in every way and you get paid for it handsomely. But, and also you do it because you love it and you like to help. But is there one thing you're just surprised? Why don't people ask me this? Or more um, people ask me this. It's not everybody, but a lot of people that I meet, especially in the in in the voiceover world, uh, when we first meet, or even if we've known each other a little while, I'm and I'm just talking about people who have not uh, taken my workshop or training, kind of training for me. You know, we're just meeting for the first or second time. They do not ask me for advice or any help. And this is the first time, right? Yeah. Now, when somebody's taking my workshop, it's a little different situation, different story. But meeting somebody cold, you know, if, and I'm not talking about the pros, because the pros, I mean, they already know what they're doing. Uh, You know, they don't necessarily need my help or advice. But for somebody who's just getting started in voiceover and really wants to learn, uh, a lot of times, if we're meeting in person, they're really reluctant to ask interesting Uh, now i do get when i get a phone call from somebody who's interested in they want to learn about 
maybe somebody referred them to me and they want to learn more about what voiceover is all about and, and you know, what do I do? Then, then we have a conversation and they start asking some questions. But that's a little bit different situation. Um, it's just, hmm. I find that it, it, it interesting that, uh, you know, a lot of people know who I am. They know a little bit about my, my background and about my book. And they're reluctant to ask. The Art of Voice Acting. That is the book, ladies that's, and gentlemen. That's James R. Allberger. I'm never ever, never going to look at a burger the same. I'm always going to think of you. <laughs> oh, good, good. But uh, keep me top yeah, of I mean, mind. That's great branding. Yeah, it, it it is, and it's a great book as well. And uh, you know, I well, we we've gone over so much. You know, I mean, uh, I don't want to take uh, too much more of your time. I know that you're you know very uh, uh, well. You've been very generous with your time. And can I just ask you though, what what is what's like a typical day for you? I mean, I'm you have a lot of different projects. I know it could vary. Uh, how has it changed and what typically would be a, a day for you? The phone rings, you get up. How does, how does it work? Well, my commute is literally down the hall. It's about a 25-foot <laughs> commute. Um, my studio is at my house. Um, basically, my days are pretty relaxed. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I left television in 1998, so that was about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I've never looked back, haven't missed it. Yeah, you got it at the right time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, it was at, the, it was at a time when uh, NBC was the owner of the TV station. And back at, in the late 90s, NBC started taking the fun out of television, mm. at least as far as their network was concerned. Now, I, I haven't happen? worked in mean? Hollywood. Wait, the shows like uh, Seinfeld, did it end there? Um, n- no, Seinfeld was... was was aired on NBC, but it was not produced by NBC. Okay. The, the reason that, it, that television stopped being fun, at least for me, was in the 1970s, there was, uh, NBC was going through some major growing pains and major changes. If you, if you look back into the 1990s, in the early part of that decade, NBC was the number one network. Yes. For a number mm-hmm. of years. And then it was like almost overnight, they plummeted to number three. And I've never really read any analysis as to why that happened, but I think I know. In the mid-1990s, uh, back in that time, NBC was owned by General Electric. And at around that same period of time, there was a process-oriented program that was making the rounds called Six Sigma. Never and heard of that. Six Sigma is all about efficiency, honing a process down to its most efficient core essence. And throwing out all the superfluous stuff, let's just get right to the point. Nuts and bolts, bang, this is how we do it. Now, is this how we got Dayline NBC and stuff like that? I'm sorry. You know, those, you know those shows like Dateline NBC, where yeah. it's just like the story, boom, boom, boom. You yeah. know, this happened, the murder, and then da 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 da, and the, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, and you don't get any supporting information or very little. And what happened was with six. First off, Six Sigma, being that it's a very process-oriented, analytical type of thing, uh, it works great for assembly lines which GE was an assembly line business. I mean, they built washers and dryers and turbine engines and all that kind of stuff. Very, you know, assembly line oriented. Well, NBC television 
is both an, it's a news and a creative environment. News is not so assembly line because news has a lot of variables. But mm-hmm. I mean, you just said it was something like Dateline where it's like they just give you the key points of the story and you lose a lot of the what might be really important supporting components of that mm-hmm. story, you know, which really give you an understanding of why this particular thing happened. That's well, where public TV comes in, public television. Yeah. A public TV and BBC TV, I mean, they give more more information. But uh, especially back in that time, in the early 1990s, uh, or, or mid-1990s, Six Sigma was implemented by GE. It was mandated that NBC implement Six Sigma across the network and all of its owned and operated stations, of which the station where I worked here in San Diego was an NBC O&O. And we had the Six Sigma program come in. And as soon as I started going through the orientations for Six Sigma, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, how, how in the heck am I going to implement this in audio? In audio, I handle multiple microphones and videotape sources, and I'm mixing and combining and balancing all of that to create the, the proper sound that's going out on the air. Mm-hmm. You cannot make that a process. It's a, it's a creative process. I was just going to say, now back to imagination. This, this way you got in, you know, this living, breathing thing that you do. Exactly. You know, that's where it was fun is because we, we could be creative and I can balance things and I can, you know, I can handle, I have control over what's happening with the sound and the, and the directors with what's happening with the picture. And, you know, there's all the, all the creative positions on a crew. Well, with Six Sigma being forced upon us, all that creati- creativity had to be documented. We had to write up documents and paperwork and deal with all these things, explaining, okay, this is why we're doing something. And we're having to analyze a creative process. That's terrible. You know what? That's, that's awful. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I went to a to seminary and, uh, you know, I'm just going to say that people say it's like putting God on the operating table and dissecting and then you lose the whole essence. Mm-hmm. Of, of the whole thing. You exactly. Know, and that's everything. what happened. And, and that's why I think NBC took a nosedive in the mid-90s. I think hmm. they implemented Six Sigma across the board at a network level. And they and because there were, the network was buying the programs from the outside producers, I think even the network tried to implement certain aspects of it into the productions that they were airing. And when you start to analyze a creative thing, you kill it. it. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. And you could, you could translate that over to voiceovers. Yep. Because I'm sure there are people that are so technical as they say, you know, they can't get it in their own head. They can't use the imagination and, and let it breathe, let it live. You know, mm-hmm. uh, all the good ones, the singers, uh, the actors, it, there's, it's like nothing go- coming between them and this microphone. It's, they don't even think that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it comes down to any, any master of any craft, if you ask them what are they thinking about as they're doing their work, they will tell you, I'm not thinking about doing my work. I'm not thinking about how am I going to deliver this line. I'm not thinking about, you know, how am I going to do this? They just do it. 
I'm thinking of Joe Cipriano, who did the forward of your book, who, you yeah. know, legendary uh, network announcer and, uh, well, just about everything he does with voiceovers. Can you imagine he's thinking of when he's like, everybody loves Raymond and he's thinking about lunch or something? And I, I don't think so. I think he's, I mean, maybe, but uh, I mean, he's he's focused on what he does. He's he didn't. I think he's interesting to watch. There's a difference between being focused on what you're doing and thinking about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. There are two different things. Thinking about what you're doing would be taking a script like, um, oh, I'm just. Uh, How about like an Audi commercial or a Mercedes? Yeah. Like an Audi 4 4 um, sedan. <laughs> okay. Um, there's, I, used in a, I wrote a script for my book that basically goes. Some people think they're a mistake, but most people think they're delicious. Okay, so they've got a big seed and they're green. Avocados are still my favorite fruit. Get some today. Mm, really short too. script. I like and I use that in, in my workshop. It's in the book and it's in my workshops. And if you think about how are you going to inflect that line, some people think they're a mistake. You've got five words in that sentence. Some people think they're, uh, six words, a mistake. If you think about it, every single one of those words could be the most important word in that line. Mm -hmm. And you can emphasize each, each of those words in turn, and you can have an infinite combination of, of how that line might get spoken. Well, if you overanalyze it, a couple of things happen. First off, you kill any, any spontaneity that might exist in the delivery. <laughs> As I'm trying. Yeah. And the second thing is you can get yourself into a rut. Yeah. Because you come up with an interpretation that you've analyzed the heck out mm. of, and you've mm -hmm. come up with this interpretation. That I'm, I know this is exactly how it needs to be done. And that, that's how you rehearse it and you practice it. And then when you get into the actual session, the client says, nah, let's do it, some, let's do it a different way. What else have you got? And you can't, Mm. do it different because you you rehearsed yourself into a rut wow you thought to, you were thinking too much about about what it is that you're doing rather than just understanding that this is a statement that needs to be spoken it's so interesting because every day we don't even think about it you know we make accents or emphasis mm -hmm. where we want we use a certain amount of you know we're 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 kind of like a master like the master who's the, the orchestra leader yes the, you know and and yet and you put the copy in front of you and all of a sudden you know here's the freedom here's the liberty to let this thing live you know mm -hmm. and give it wings if you will and uh and yet it falls flat because we're thinking like you're saying we're thinking of instead of i i guess the people who have feel like hey this is like a playground this is i get creative license that's the one that you know is gonna is gonna make it i think well, there are a couple of things about that. One of the keys, especially in voiceover or any kind of a performing or presentation uh, type of a situation, is you have to give yourself permission to play. Hmm. If you don't give yourself permission to play, you are going to be doing what I call working the words. And you know something? Let's get back to Joe Cipriano in just a minute. Another, I noticed they do this thing with their hands. Okay, as they're talking, mm -hmm. and it looks like they're in a playground. 
They look like they're playing and, 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 they're and they doing are serious stuff, network greens. But I see them not only I know they're self-directing and this hand movement thing, you know, which is all the best do that. But it looks like they're they're at a playground having fun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They are. Yeah. You ever feel like the Maytag repairman when it comes to, you know, audio and sound? I'd like to see any film or television program without any sound. Wouldn't you? I mean, people get into the glam and the great actors and, you know, of course, they get all this preferential treatment, but they would have nothing without sound. Oh, yeah. Sound is easily 50 percent or more of of any visual program. Yeah. You know, when I'm back to the Maytag repairman, it's it's kind of like, you know, a Ronnie Dangerfield. Hey, yeah, a little respect here. You know, uh, I mean, and it's funny because until meeting you and taking an interest in voiceover, um, you would watch, you know, Emmys or you'd watch the Oscars and these gentlemen who would get a, an, an award for best sound or a film. And only I'm sure you more than anybody can appreciate that. And while other people say, honey, you got the popcorn. We're going to make it, you know, who's going to win best picture here. But that's a significant part of <laughs> there would be no film, no television, nothing. And so right. sometimes you ever feel that or you do you like getting under the, you know, the radar? Um, I don't I don't mind. And in fact, I don't know any sound person that I've ever worked with who doesn't mind really working under the radar. I mean, we're we're not above the line credit lines. You know, we're below the line. Uh, the actors are above the line. Producers are above the line. You know, all the crew people pretty much below the line. And, you know, we get, you know, we get our recognition. It's more through our own uh, satisfaction of doing a great job and being part of something. Uh, I think that's the case of most sound people. But how is sound different for you? I mean, for most people, I mean, we have, we know when we hear good sounds, you know, if you have uh I, I don't know. You could mention some of the, the choiciest uh, companies known for good sound, but not everyone appreciates that. I think sometimes we do we not settle for less. And, and how is is sound different to your ears than most people? No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I, I do think, though, that most sound is one of those things where if you are aware of it, it's not being done right. Hmm. It's like makeup in film. Mm-hmm. You can look at a film and uh, the, <laughs> I'll just make this observation because uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm sure I'm just going to destroy a whole bunch of your audience's perception of TV now when they start <laughs> watching shows. But, <laughs> but ever since we, high definition came out with high definition v- video, which is now going into 4K and they've already got 8K cameras out there now. Uh, it's just you're talking about high definition on super steroids, <laughs> really, really, really crisp, clean images. Well, with just standard high def, when they started producing TV shows in high def, they started using lipstick on everybody mm. because they wanted the lips of the actors to you know, to be a little more present. And it's one of those things where, excuse me, but the actors don't need additional lipstick. And I've always wondered that. I've always, like, wait a minute. Like, that's lipstick. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's home, up with that? 
and I don't know what the rationale is, but somebody in Hollywood at some point in time convinced the industry that for high definition, you needed to put lipstick on your actors. And somewhere, Murden, uh, Milton Berle is going, makeup! Yeah. Or Lewis. <laughs> yes. But, and, but getting, getting back to sound, uh, sound is one of those things where if it's done well, it, you know, it, the result is uh, uh, an, an increased enhancement of the entire production. That makes sense. The, the whole I'm, thing I'm becomes thinking, how better. How would anybody know? And I would think you would know better than anybody when, you know, when they choose people. Do you say, oh, yes. Oh, yes. They got the right person. I have I listened uh, to that film and the sound and they got, the, you know, it seems like a crapshoot to the to the ordinary person there, the layperson. Well, again, if it's done right, you're the, the layperson shouldn't be aware of it. Hmm. Uh, you know, it, someone has to win these awards. Well, that's that's within the industry. And the awards are 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 determined by uh, industry peers. You know, the other sound people, you know, give the awards for sound. Oh, I see. I see. Wow. So you know, we know what's we know what it takes. We know what's going on. We know how what they had to do to get what they got. And you know, if that was an exceptional job, then yeah, okay, you know, you get the award. The you know average viewer doesn't need to know that. You know, they don't need to know how it all goes together. Now, there are lots and lots of behind-the-scenes things that go along with, uh, you know, a lot of the movies that come out. And what they're doing is they're revealing the secrets to the magic, which, in a sense, is okay uh, because it, it helps to educate the audience as to what really is going on behind the scenes to make this the way it is. And I really enjoy watching those, especially some of the voiceover things, because when you're talking uh, about the voice talent and you're watching somebody who's come from from a film or television background, who is now or mostly a television or stage background, who's now been cast in a role for a, uh, an animated feature and they walk in on their first day of the studio and they're in a big room all by themselves. Yeah. And the only things in the room are a stool a microphone, and a copy stand, and a pair of headphones. That's it. Mm -hmm. And they are expected to create the reality of the character and the scene and everything that goes on within the scene only through the sound of their voice. Wow. And it has to be real, genuine, and authentic to the character. No wonder this is a hard business. It's a, it's a tough business. There's a lot to it. But it was easy for a guy like Robin Williams, wasn't it, to do stuff like well, that? Well, Robin Williams was a natural. I mean, he was naturally crazy. I mean, he was, uh, <laughs> but, you know, he was very, actually very introverted. But he, when he was on, he was on. And he yeah, had a I talent. I mean, he had an immense talent for creativity. And he is one of those people who all you had to do is say, okay, Robin, play. And he could he would play. I mean, he there gave himself permission to very play. Very missed, you know. I mean, there are very few people. I don't think. I mean, people might mention Jonathan Winters, but other than that, Rob Williams. Yep. So um, Jim Carrey is another one. Yeah, I don't. I, mean, I wish he continued with <laughs> being funny, but well, no, he, he, he made his millions. He's doing, and <laughs> so it's not, can... not funny anymore. Yeah, he's you know. Yeah, it is. Things change. <laughs> 
things change. But, you know, you're an interesting man. And uh, James R. Alberger, he's gained a reputation for really being the best in the business as an audio producer, director, copywriter. He's got a great book called The Art of Voice Acting and also The Voice Actor's Guide to Professional Home Recording, How to Get Jobs for the Voices in Your Head, Get Your Act Together, Producing an Effective Magic Act to Music. I wanted to mention one last question. What's your favorite magic uh, trick? Oh, I don't have a favorite. There are some. I, I have. Uh, there are a couple of of magicians or illusionists that I really respect. Uh, I don't have a particular favorite effect. It's just uh, so bizarre, you know. David Copperfield. He had to tell tell how he did that trick, and uh, and then you're kind of like, eh, you know. <laughs> well, but, you yeah. know, it's once once the magic, the secret to the magic is revealed. Yeah, where's the fun? That's true. That was so serious. It's true, though. <laughs> yeah, is, there's a lot of truth in that. It makes me but, sad. Yeah, Copperfield right, and, and is, is one a- of those. He's one of those magicians. Uh, he's actually an illusionist who I I totally respect, and I really enjoy his shows, largely because David does a lot of what I did when I was doing my magic as a young to the you know, music to the sound. Yeah, he does. He choreographs his magic to music. And music is incredibly powerful on an emotional level. And when you put the visual of his illusions to the to the right piece of music, it's a synergistic effect uh, and creates a very powerful illusion and magic. I mean, it really is magic. It's so, funny, you've, even with all the other endeavors, you've never forgotten about that. You know, no. the kind of... Uh, uh, details and specifics and i'm sure that kind of set the stage for all the other magic that you do i mean as far as uh you know the voiceovers and uh, uh the coaching and how to get magic from other people mm-hmm. and uh and it takes a lot of effort they always say you know a tennis fan roger federer makes it look easy but there's a lot of work that goes into it and i guess that's where you got your work ethic from magic yep exactly i learned i had some very good mentors when i was going through my magic years and uh, was a member of a couple of really good magic clubs and had good programs that I went through and learned a lot. Um, learned discipline, learned just a lot of different things. I'm not going to ask you the Barbara Walters question. And the last question, you know, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I'm not going to ask you that. But I'm going to ask you, though, if you could hoisten art over 50 years in sound and, and copywriting, everything, what would you boil it all down to? Satisfying. Hmm. and enjoyable i've had a had a great time and i think i attribute a lot of that to that that conscious choice that i made when i was you know in my high school days where you know i chose if it's not if i'm not having fun and enjoying what i'm doing it's time to move on yeah and i've done that a couple of times and that'll kill you talk about killing the magic killing the (laughs) imagination and um Poor people out there, you know, nine to fivers that uh, they leave the fun and the and the passion and they try to find it on the weekend. But they yeah. could certainly have fun with voiceovers and your book, The Art of Voice Acting by James R. Allberger. And he's been our special guest. And we've been really enjoyed having you on the program. The Maasai Community Radio Talk Show has been brought to you by Bayer Dynamic, B-E-Y-E-R, D-Y-N-A-M-I-C, with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. 
Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. James, I'm going to let you do the uh, the vocal booth to go spot. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you're, if you, whether you're a voice talent or any kind of uh, presenter, even if you work in an office and you are doing the, the voice track recordings for your company and you need uh, a way of recording high-quality voiceover, the uh, voiceover mobile booth from Vocal Booth to Go is a very good solution and an answer to that problem. And along with the voiceover mobile, if you go to voiceacting.com, which is my website, and look under the shop menu tab, you'll see the Vomo listed there, uh, there is a microphone that you can get which can go with the voiceover mobile booth. Cool. Which, uh, it's about $135 uh, currently. Uh, and I did a side-by-side -side comparison with that microphone compared to one of my Sennheiser 416 $1,000 really? microphones. Your kit, come on. Seriously. Um, compared, the Sennheiser is about 16 inches long. And the uh, the little mic that comes that you can get for your Vomo booth is only about six inches. So we have a really high-end shotgun microphone versus what's called a short shotgun, much more directional. But it has the, the, the Sennheiser is very directional. The little mic for the Vomo, which is the VBM90S, is the uh, the mic uh, the number that voiceover uh, to, or vocal booth to go has given that microphone. And the but I compared them. So I did a side by side comparison, and it's very difficult to tell which one is which. That's amazing. You know, you hear about things like that. It's almost hard to believe. But I mean, it's. Uh, can you send me one? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's certainly people should go out and 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 get one of those. I mean, my goodness. And the and the website is vocalboothtogo.com. And uh, Jeff and Avil uh, Deal, he'll appreciate. All that. And, uh, you know, thank you so much. You know, whether it's uh, winning Emmys back in the day or, you know, uh, all the work you've done, uh, you're just a nice guy. You're just a really a well informed and you and you like helping people get to where they need to go in the business. Uh, James R. Alberger, thank you for being on the program. Yes. And you, uh, my pleasure. And you have got the name down. You've repeated it. <laughs> I, th I think I, I lost count at about 10. So <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh, man. And I'm going to get this with right a, with a guest like this. Yeah. So, uh, and I just, if I, if I could uh, just mention to your guests, if any of your listeners are either interested in voiceover, uh, of course, my book is out there. You can get it anywhere. Amazon.com. Most bookstores can get it. It's the art of voice acting. Yeah, it's everywhere out there. But if you're really interested in something more specific in terms of coaching or training, even for business professionals, uh, I've worked with a number of professional speakers as a coach and perf a performance coach and helping them with their presentations. Um, my contact information is on the website, uh, voiceacting.com. Uh, and just as a sidebar, I, with my sound and audio background, uh, I also work with, uh, with film producers and directors. I was going to say, probably everyone from even studios to indie films. Yes, yeah. A lot of indies. <laughs> 
a lot of low budget productions, but uh, I do everything from the location field sound on through audio post production and and sweetening and mixing and putting the soundtrack together. And uh, even a couple months ago, finished up a film where we did uh, ADR, which is dialogue replacement. We, the, all the actors had to come in and replace their lines to bring the the audio up to up to par. Uh, and I do that too. So anything with sound, whether it's voiceover, location sound, post-production, music editing, uh, sound design, anything like that is Just up call my alley. Him, folks. Call him because the book is like this big and you're going to get so much information if you talk directly to this man. And I've mastered his last name, so call him. <laughs> and that would be, once again... You, you say it. Who are you? Uh, no, you're, you're the host. <laughs> James R. All burger. Very good. You got it. And uh, so, that also, that happens to be uh, my uh, sound and my voiceover website is jamesallburger.com. That's A L B U R G E R, just like hamburger. Yep. And my, uh, my sound for film and video site is just allburger.com. Hmm. And you then know, there's voiceacting.com. I can check that one out. I was just on the other one. Now I have something to do after this. Yeah, well, you know, give you something to do this evening. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that 12 uh, year old, you know, that you got a hold of that uh, that reel to reel, because uh, a lot of people have benefited from uh, benefited from it. And thank you for being on the program once again. We enjoyed it. It's been my pleasure entirely, Michael. <laughs>